again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Connecticut Certification Board's Scope of Practice podcast. Thanks for joining us today. One of the sad truths of our field is that we often focus on buzzwords and trends rather than outcomes. In the early 2000s, it was the term evidence-based practice, then on to co-occurring disorders in 2006 or so, the opioid epidemic, as if people weren't dying from heroin before then, to today's concern for harm reduction experts, uh, efforts, and most notably trauma. The term trauma is so pervasive that even mainstream media has noticed it with a uh, 2022 New York Times article by journalist Jessica Bennett brilliantly entitled, If Everything is Trauma, Is Anything? Statements have been made by experts that all addiction is a result of trauma, which is not only refuted by anecdotal evidence, but also by longitudinal research by the ongoing Chicago Social Drinking Project study. The discussion of trauma has been so generalized and turned into an industry of itself that the struggles of those with post-traumatic stress disorder risk are being trivialized. It's time that we take a critical look at this issue. Our guest today, Dr. Bob Lynn, is here to help us with this task. Dr. Lynn is an internationally recognized lecturer, researcher, and clinician in the field of counseling psychology and substance use disorders. During the past 50 years, he has held leading positions in many clinical settings, levels of addiction treatment, employee assistance programs, state government, and as a professor in several universities. Dr. Lynn is an affiliate of the Rutgers Center of Alcohol and Substance Abuse Studies Graduate School of Applied and Professional Psychology. He's a board-certified licensed professional counselor and senior fellow in neurofeedback practice. He's also a recognized expert in family therapy and behavioral therapy. Dr. Lynn's specific experience that is applicable to this discussion includes over 30 years in the development of programs around the globe where historical and individual trauma was a real concern. Also serving as a responder, first responder on 9-11 and seven, spending several additional weeks at Ground Zero providing acute support, leading a major effort over several years to provide treatment and support to those who are facing ongoing challenges related to 9-11, and teaching graduate-level courses, which include a focus on the relationship of emotional challenges related to context and history. He is the CEO and founder of the Behavioral Health Alliance, among many other roles and responsibilities. We're very fortunate to have him join us for his second appearance to the program. Dr. Lynn, welcome, my friend. Hi, Jeff. Thanks. It's a a pleasure to be here. And I I certainly do appreciate all of the good work that you do. You know, your your voice has become a uh, a bright light in the field. And I really appreciate, uh, uh, you know, what what you've been doing and what you've accomplished. You're very kind. And I I do appreciate the words. just as we begin to co- to come from a place of understanding for those who are listening, can we start with some definitions just to clarify? What is a traumatic event? Right. You know, it it I mean, I it, it's a it's a wonderful place to begin. Uh and I think the reason it's a wonderful place to begin is because uh definitions, you know, take on a life of their own, if you will. I mean, uh a lexicon develops in a in a way that serves uh particularly the the practitioner more than the client and you know trauma jeff as you know is not new a traumatic event is is you know is you know maybe an event that is experienced as seriously disturbing uh such events cause a wide range of reactions based on many predisposing factors 
in other words, a traumatic event with a current, historical, or multi-generational is something experienced which may cause individual trauma, either transient or long-lasting. Uh, of course, you know me well enough by now, Jeff, if anybody would like the references, I always have them. <laughs> Absolutely, you do. You know, I'm based in science, and, and so, so these, the you know, Experts don't know why some people, as an example, develop PTSD after a traumatic experience, and why others do not. Uh, a history of trauma, along with other physical, genetic, psychological, and social factors, may play a role in developing uh, emotional emotional challenges. So, traumatic events are. I think. I think. Let's say. Let Let me just see if I can be more uh, concise and say to you. A traumatic event, traumatic events are part of life. We all have traumatic events, Jeff. We have mm -hmm. traumatic events, we have highs, we have lows. When we have that, then we have events in the middle. All of these events will, in, in a sense, define who we are as we travel through life. We, 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 uh, but generally, and, uh, and thank, and thankfully, we are resilient. We have the, we have the ability to bounce back. If not, nobody <laughs> there wouldn't be anybody walking these days. So so in fact, uh, trauma traumatic events uh, are really important. But so are uh, so are uh, happy events. So are mm -hmm. so are uh, sad events. You know all these kinds of events. And and the the thing that I, the thing that is really in, important is that we. We understand that these these events don't don't stand alone. You know they're part of life. You know so so how how you make an in, how you develop an industry out of an event is really really interesting to me. Yeah, um, and I, I ask you this next one because I love your response to it because I see it on on LinkedIn all the time, uh, and I, I grin every time I see it, and it's. What is trauma? Yeah, so so that's you know so so that that's 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 the thing that's I mean it's it's a it's such a uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a question that is loaded in the sense that trauma has taken on uh, fourteen definitions in the last in the last couple of years. It's an adrenergic it's an adrenergic emotional response uh, to an event or experience. That's what it is. You know that's trauma is not a uh, you know people you know some would say well trauma is something that creates a uh, uh, a uh, a predisposition in your life that can you know that is uh, that needs to be uh, dealt with or otherwise you're going to get sick you know, but trauma you know it, it, you know you know. You know, accidents, assaults, natural disasters. You know, according to the American American Psychological Association, trauma may or may not create a predisposition. But it, it, but we know, as an example, Jeff, and and I want to make it very clear right from the start here that I am not minimizing or devaluing devaluing in any way the impact of a traumatic event on someone's life. And I want to be very clear about mm -hmm. that. So I'm not trivializing trauma. And I, I want to be clear about that. Yeah. At the same time, I wanted I wanted to be clear that uh you know that uh, trauma 
is not is not is not our is not our entire lives. It's part of our lives, and it's a part of a natural uh, a natural life. So, uh, I I'm, I become very concerned when uh, I read these posts like you do, where someone says, "Well, all trauma, all life is based on trauma." There was one I think uh, the other day, and I'm not going to mention any names, mm-hmm. Jeff. I don't think it's it's appropriate here. But one one person wrote either, you know, and I'm paraphrasing a bit uh, for every single person and every single and the word every was used. And that always creates a red flag for me for every single person in the world. They're either dealing with their trauma or should be. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, it makes makes little sense. Yeah, and, and I get your point about not minimizing. I think our, our whole focus today is to get a better idea of really what's happening and talk about what the what trauma is, what a trauma response is, and separating there are individuals like myself with post-traumatic stress disorder as part of a response to a traumatic event or events. Um, there are other things, people that don't have that, that are able to respond and, and do better or have a different response. But I think we're separating just kind of the the popular lexicon from the truth. Well, the the real difference here between uh, that needs to be sorted out, and, and it has not been in in many of in in many of these posts, and many, is that PTSD, which is a focus on a specific traumatic event. Mm-hmm. You know, so when we talk about PTSD, you know, I've spent much many years working with Vietnam vets, as an example. Uh, I, you know, as you know, I've worked with 9-11 a lot. I've worked with traumatic events, you know, folks who've had PTSD related to, to traumatic events, which is very different than going through a life which has trauma involved in it. And, and if you look, you know, if you just go back, you know, and, 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 you know, the ACEs, the ACEs research has been so bastardized and so, and so, uh, uh, twisted to meet uh you know uh certain uh genres and needs you know what you know aces talks about intensity and duration mm-hmm. it, does, it doesn't say that anyone with tom whatever who has experienced trauma needs to do clinical work what it says is that if you can have a trauma you know an a, a aces score which is based on which is based on duration and intensity and if the event is traumatic enough, if the single event is traumatic enough, then you will develop, then you can develop PTSD. But even PTSD is complex. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, you know, it's not, I'll give you, give you an example. When I was working with uh, 9-11, I had the responsibility of working with folks who experienced PTSD, particularly those with it challenges in with substance use disorder uh has given several million dollars to set to set up these assessment centers around it and it's and without going into great detail but the interesting thing is you know the question you have to ask yourself is why did some people uh experience you know 9-11 and develop ptsd and what and some did not and then what that will tell you that it's much more than the event alone. That there's not a single cause out cause and effect mm-hmm. relationship between the event and the emotional response. It's multifaceted, Jeff. There's there's everything from genetics to to contemporary context 
to health issues. I mean, there's all kinds of that's why this this single focus, the real the real problem with this single focus is it takes away the focus on a client-centered individualized care. Yeah, and we, you know, we as a field often struggle, or should say, yeah, quite often struggle with uh, correlation versus causality. There is a strong correlation between the events of 9-11 and individuals with PTSD, but there's not, it's, it, it, they're not saying everyone who's experienced uh, 9-11 has PTSD. So correlation paints a picture, uh, not a direct line. Um, and the, and the, other, the other piece of that, if I could just, I, I don't mean to interrupt, Jeff, but the, the other piece of that is the overfocus on causality that, you know, uh, I mean, that, that's a concern as well. First of all, causality is one from an emotional perspective, from a clinical perspective, is always best guess. You know, so yeah, we could say, well, and it's important. So we say, well, events are important, but what we need to understand is the patient as they present. Not, you know, my, you know, going back, you're going trying to figure out cause to inform because cause is it does not inform care. And the, the I mean, remember, trauma is not is not a diagnosis. <laughs> you know, trauma. Trauma is only in a, you know, only relates to events that create predispositions, and those predispositions can be to many things. Jeff, you know, you you talked, you said just a second ago about single lens. You know, uh, when we look at, or if we choose to look at emotional challenges through this single lens, um, it's obvious the people outside the field that we do that, like that New York Times writer who said, if everything is drama, you know, then what is, is, can you explain a bit why we we tend to look at things through a single lens? And why is it a struggle for people in the field to recognize that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a great question, Jeff. You know, it, but if you look, you know, if you look back at through this, I've been in the field for 50 years, Jeff. And over those 50 years, I have lived through this exact uh, uh, scenario so many times. You, you know, you, you remember John Bradshaw and shame-based. Yep. For a while, everything everything was shame-based. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, uh, clinicians, and, I, and look, I'm a clinician myself, and I don't mean to be, you know, uh, I'm not trying to make a disparaging remark, just the Generally, just uh, just you know, uh, sharing an observation, if you will, Jeff. But you know, clinicians often look for simple answers to complicated questions. Uh, so say, oh wow, of course, everything is trauma. Now, now, boy, it's all boy. That makes my job easy. I mean, I mean, now I understand. It's so clear, and people become you know almost, uh, if you will, almost religious about it. Of of course, I mean, I mean, and, and only can think within that realm, and so hey, you know, and it you know it really helps people who are struggling with uh, with how to work with folks in clinical settings, uh, and it you know it's a and and as uh, as the saying goes, you know, it's a simple answer to a complicated question, and it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, you know, that's I, I, that's the best I can do. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, uh, and I like the John Bradshaw reference because it helps to clarify it as well. Um, and there are things, everybody in, in 2005, 2006, everybody who came into substance use disorder treatment was had a co-occurring disorder when they didn't. But that was just kind of the, the lexicon of the field. Here's an interesting question, I think. Um, if we piggyback on the idea of looking at things through the single lens, couldn't this phenomenon potentially for some be a countertransference reaction? <laughs> now, now, now you're, uh, uh, I, I yeah, think. Not I all, think, but some. Yeah. In what way, Jeff? Um, they may have some sort of experience with uh, an unresolved trauma or something on their mind, and they come from that perspective and their interpretation because of countertransference of what the client is saying gets skewed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, look, my, my, you know, my answer to that is that the answer is yes, no, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's the that's the challenge of the clinician is to meet their client where they present. Yeah, at the end, and as I've, as you've often heard me say, at the intersection of science and compassion. Mm -hmm. And if it's a counter transference issue, then it's important to recognize and then meet them there. If you know, if it if it's a fa if, if 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 it's a situation where they're living in a terrible situation. And it's context related. Let's let's deal with that. If it's if it's historical trauma, which I also believe in, you know, because I do I do believe in multi generational trauma, and that the, and that people carry trauma from generation to generation. But, you know, uh, Native Americans are a perfect example. Uh, if that's the issue that the person is presenting with, now that's this is the important thing. They need to for me. And this is not true for everyone, Jeff, but for myself as a clinician, mm. they need to be presenting with that. I don't it's not my job to 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 uh, mine for pathology. It's my job to treat pathology. There's a very big difference. And I think that over, you know, I, I, this this might surprise you and might surprise a lot of folks and they might not really want to hear this. But it's just the facts, ma'am. The. A good part of my practice over many years has been mopping up the work of overzealous therapists who have been digging in places that make no sense and creating this this you know creating pathology as so that they can treat it rather than treating the patient as they present. And I know that sounds mm -hmm. you know fairly you know. It sounds a bit harsh, and I don't mean to be harsh. But when you when I have that patient sitting in front of me, who 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 says, "Hey, hey, Doctor Bob, I, I guess I need to tell my story to you again." I tell my story. I said, "Well, why would you do that?" Well, my last three paratherapists said that would get me well, and I said, "I said, well, what is your problem? My problem is that I'm really worried that my spouse won't love me if they know my story." Well, then bring in your spouse and let's talk about that because that's your problem. And it's not a, you know, it's not your trauma. It's, it's, it's your current context. That's just one example, but yeah. there are many. Yeah, you see where what, I'm going, Jeff? Yeah. yeah, it's what, it, very simply, it's addressing what the client presents and what they want to work on. 
So if we talk about mining for pathology, which is is kind of common, we've had previous discussions about this, you and I, what specifically do you mean by that? I just want to clarify for our listeners. So if you start with the belief that everything is trauma-related, okay, your patient mm-hmm. comes in and says, uh, well, you know, I'm having trouble uh, sleeping at night. I'm having trouble. I'm having relationships with my with my partner that are not working, et cetera, et cetera. You say, well, of course, let's go find your trauma. And mm-hmm. then, then you start digging, and and I can promise you, again, Jeff, Jeff I can promise you this. Mm-hmm. I can take anybody. I'm not talking about a clinical case. I could take anyone at random, have them sit in my office, and begin to mine for pathology by asking them about the trauma in their lives, mm-hmm. the disappointments, the anxieties, the 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 uh, the missed opportunities. If I go through that, I can get them to leave my office clinically depressed. Yeah. Now, why would you want to pay for a therapist to do that? That you know, sometimes it hurts a whole lot more coming up than it did going down, Jeff. I heard a great example of kind of mining for pathology the other day, and it's if LeBron James, who had problems making free throws because he couldn't concentrate, and he went to see a clinician and said, I'm really struggling to concentrate on these free throws, they would forget everything he's accomplished in his world and would focus on his difficult upbringing and the things he'd experienced, and he'd get worse. He'd become depressed instead of saying, okay, let's look at what you're presenting. Let's talk about your concentration. Uh, No, they would talk about the trauma he experienced through his much of his young life, and the poor guy would be ruined. Exactly. I mean, you know, my my most important clinical question, Jeff, is for my patients is what do you want? Yeah. And that's 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 where I start. Uh, back, you know, again, okay. back in 2020, Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman uh, posited that looking at relationship problems uh, through, from a perspective of trauma really has created a, a culture of victimhood. Uh, do you have any thoughts uh, on that kind of, on that theory? Yeah, I, I, I do have. I, I actually do, Jeff. I think I think he's spot on. And you know, this this blaming the victim. Uh, we do it. We do it, and you know that's one way we do. We do it through labeling. Mm-hmm. We do it. Through, we we do it through creating concepts and and and, and scenarios. And uh, you know, how many of my how many people come into my office? You know, and and before they even I even get to say hello to them, tell me their diagnosis. And I said, I said, well, how do you know that? Well, my patient, my 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 therapist, my last therapist told me I'm borderline. My last therapist told me that I'm that I have unresolved uh, traumatic issues. Uh, so we need to work on that. Uh, and I said, well, how's that? How, how's that helped in the past? I mean, you've been to other therapists. I mean, well, I guess they haven't. I'm sitting in your office now, but yeah, I I I, I think that level of, you know, uh, there was a great article that a. Uh, really brilliant social worker wrote called blaming by naming i, I think it's I, I i think it's uh I, I i can't think of the reference right now but i it'd be probably easy to find but, uh, but yeah I, 
his, you know, uh, confidence stuff made sense to me when I was looking at it, because if we're looking, you're coming at things from a position of weakness related to whatever the clinician is presenting to you as your, your trauma response, instead of coming, just simply saying, what would you like to get out of being here? Uh, and and we're putting this, oh, that, oh, I've got all these problems. I can't resolve them. I'm a victim. Because instead of saying, hey, you survived pretty well with all the stuff you said you got going on. Let's talk about you know, the, yeah, the strengths I, that you have. Yeah. And, and I think that, you, I mean, that's a really important point, Jeff. And, you know, that, and that's the where I, that's how I work. Uh, you know, you, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, terms, uh, to describe the way I work, but I call it, I think positive psychology is probably the best. And that's the way I work. I, 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 I focus, I focus, I focus on strengths, not weaknesses. Uh, you know, and I think there's, I think there's a big difference in that, you know, that way of thinking. Uh, when I was in the university, you know, and I've taught in many universities, but since some of the universities, it'd be really interesting because, and I taught, I've mostly, I've only taught graduate school and mm -hmm. uh, students would go from my class where we're talking about building on strengths and talking about what's right about people to the class next, the next class where they had to switch their, <laughs> their thinking. I, I think, I think that was a challenge, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, the the other thing, Jeff, just to segue a little bit, if I can, you know, the, the whole idea that, you know, that the ability of the brain to change and grow in response to experience, you know, I mean, if we didn't have that, you couldn't live. Think about it. Think about the last, you know, if you've ever had an operation, if you've ever, you know, you, you, you know, we, we can bend without breaking. Yeah. You know? I mean, we we if we could, Jeff, if we couldn't, we'd all we, we, we'd all be uh, unable to do anything in life. This is what the human condition is really based on: this plasticity, this ability to to bounce back, and and and, and to devalue that is just a mistake. People are much more resilient uh, than than uh, you know. And who does that serve? It serves it serves the practitioner more than it does the right. patient. You know, there's a whole industry around this. And I, it's funny because one of the questions that I had, you just answered, but I think it's uh, really interesting. Is is trauma overreach negating the resilience of those folks who come to care? And I think in many cases the answer is yes. Not in all, but in many, the answer is yes. Is we're focusing on trauma instead of saying. Oh my goodness! Look at how resilient you've been. You know, Jeff. Here's the here's the sad truth, and an industry has been developed around trauma. It's a very lucrative industry. Uh, it's it. You know, you, you know, you you know, you tend to see some of these uh, posts on LinkedIn and other places, uh, and you see these little little articles that come out all the time and. But an entire industry, a billion-dollar industry, has developed around this. The cow is out of the barn right now. Mm -hmm. You know how long how long this firecracker will last till it burns out? I don't I don't know. But people are talking about trauma-informed schools. 
trauma, you know, trauma-informed workplaces, trauma-informed, you know, dental offices. It is. Wait, I go for that. (laughs) (laughs) I support that wholeheartedly. Actually, me me, me too. uh, that dentists are one of my biggest traumatic events, uh, but but you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's there there are workshops, certifications, courses. There's there's a there is an entire industry uh, that that is steamrolling. I mean, and as you said in, in your introduction, which was right spot on, this has been picked up. You know, by mainstream media, it's become part of the genre and the lexicon of of, of lay people. Uh, you know, and once that happens, you know, it's really. It took a long time for, uh, exa- you know, example, shame based to wear out. Yeah, but it, but, but there, there, there was TV shows. I mean, maybe it went on forever. Well, that's where we're at. we're really at the at the apex right now. Mm-hmm. You know, people, you know, and I. This is going to sound. A bit cynical, but I don't mean to be. Uh, people cashing in on 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 this on 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 this on, on the trauma train, and I, you know, this trauma over trauma overreach is a very real thing. What you're describing uh, with shame and what's happening right now with trauma is we're kind of over the top a little bit when we talk about something completely different. The use of the term codependent, how that was so important but you've got people now challenging that and jumping on that like uh dr robert weiss and in in los angeles who's saying why are we punishing people for caring instead of helping them find a better way for them to help their family member to to help their loved one uh instead of saying oh that's wrong hey hey jeff codependency enabling uh uh dry drunk i can go on forever the these these have always you know it goes back to your question about simple answers to complicated questions Mm -hmm. if you can create a uh a popular belief uh i mean it, it and 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 you know what the thing about it let me put on my scientist hat for a second every single time and i'm saying every single time i ask for a reference or i ask for data I, I either get nothing or some some other study, uh, you know, that is not related, but that they've created a bridge from, you know, and that, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like in some rehabs where they say we're, we do evidence-based treatment because we use some evidence-based models of care, such as CBT or something. And they say, well, we're evidence-based, but it has nothing to do with the outcomes of their actual treatment. So what they, you know, so they base this, uh, uh, you know, and and so much of this is based on soup. And and here's the thing, Jeff, it's based on pseudoscience presented under the mantle of science. Now think about that for a second. You know, you're a young therapist. You're a young. You're you're a lay person. How do you you know? How do you sort out pseudoscience from science? You don't because it's presented as fact. You know, four out of five dentists, you know, have represent you know believe this. Well, if that's what you know, that's the data. You know, and and yeah, I, I and I think that's it's unconscionable. Yeah, and and I get annoyed, aggravated, even when I when 
somebody throws around, well, we use evidence-based practices because the question is, are your people trained in it? Are you using with the right people in the right place at the right time? Or are you just saying you use it? Because that's not an outcome. Showing what happens when you use it is an outcome. This is where people are. Uh, so evidence-based practice to me is overused. Uh, it's, it's you know, it's over it's overused because... And this is another taking it a little, <laughs> you know, Jeff, I just put it out there. Mm -hmm. Samsha has really done a terrible job with this. And they actually have come to the point where they've admitted it. You know, what they did was create this uh, criteria for evidence-based that was, you know, if it was evidence-based in the streets of Chicago, it definitely, it may not work in the, uh, in Kingston, Jamaica, but nevertheless, <laughs> you would you'd get right. a grant. I, I I've had five million dollar grants where I was required to do what they you know to 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 use a model that uh, had nothing to do with the population that I was working with. So you know that, that that's been going on for a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know that's not an unfamiliar thing to me to hear that. And it's just just a couple more things. And one, and we had talked about him, you know, that he's your colleague and friend, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He's received a lot of criticism uh, for his practice of focusing solely on the present and not in the past. This is a slam dunk question for you, Dr. Lynn. What's your opinion of, of, of how he kind of goes about things? About focusing on the present? Yeah, focusing and, on the present yeah, yeah. and not on the past. Yeah. So... This might not. This is not going to surprise you. I don't take histories. Ah, oh, you know, there you go. I, you know, I, you know, I, I think history is important. So you say, well, he doesn't. What is he saying? He doesn't take histories, but he thinks history is important. How could that be? Well, let me tell you. Wow, I think history is very important to the extent it presents itself in the contemporary context. So if you're bringing that history into my office. We will we we will focus on that. That's what you brought into my office. But to me, to find out, you know, uh, you know whether you, whether you loved your mother when you were growing up, which is relevant as relevance to your uh, relationship with your partner. Now, now it might be, but if you if you brought that in and said, "Hey, look, you know, I've never learned how to have good relationships because of that," can mm -hmm. we talk about that? I'm there. I'm right there. But that's still the present, you yeah. know, for me. Yeah. So for me, I don't, you know, I, 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 you know, I, you know, I take, I take, you know, history to the extent of learning who, you know, who you believe you are at this point and what, what's brought you here and all of that, that, that kind of work, you know, I got a lot of that from, uh, you know, my work with the, my, my mentors when I was doing my doctoral work and I'm, I, and some of that is still relevant, but what I don't do is drag people through, ad nauseum through uh, his you know through history in a way that uh, may or may not relate to the reason they're sitting in my office so like everything else history there's a contextual piece to it uh based on the presentation of the person at a specific time yeah and a bias of mine and you know we all have biases yep. jeff and i'm and i'm not i'm i'm not immune to that and i i you know i'm where I, I you know when someone else does a post or talk or presents with it with a uh, differing opinion. I'm interested, Jeff. I don't mm -hmm. want to. I, I I don't think it's my way or the highway. I I really don't. I really want to learn 
from people, particularly, I, I, matter of fact, I'm much more interested in people who disagree with me than people who agree. Because those are the people I learn from, especially mm -hmm. if, if they have some, some evidence. But uh, my bias, if you will, is towards contemporary context, contextual treatment. And so, uh, so my bias is, is is towards treating people as they present, in the, and and using a wide lens to include you know everything within their contemporary context, which includes community, which can you know which can, you know which can, which in, and, and which includes uh, you know uh, the German Shepherd if that's what's important to them. Mm -hmm. I I so I'm really I'm really my lens is up. I use as wide a lens as I can. And yet, my default position is science and compassion. So, but uh, you know, so so for me, uh, that's my bias. My bias is contemporary context. Uh, I understand, you know, you know, I, you know. I, I really have some very interesting discussions, as you can, mm -hmm. uh, as you might under, as you might imagine, with my psychoanalytic friends. <laughs> One final question for me, uh, and. Are we losing focus on treating clients where they are at because of mining for pathology, trauma, overreach, or you know, more along the lines of whatever's hot today? We're focusing on what's hot today instead of what's sitting in front of us. So this is going to be my... This will probably be my most, you know, it's interesting that you've saved this question because it'll probably be my most controversial statement. And I'm, I'm just going to put it right out there. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, you know, carving out what we call severe psychiatric issues, you know, uh, thought disorders and, and those kinds of things. I think that, uh, you know, that the, the whole idea of, uh, starting with therapy is a mistake. I think that's where you uh, that that should not be your default position. That should be your, you know, that's where you go to when everything else hasn't worked. Not when it's not the place where you begin. And I think by by doing that, we create a uh, a belief that uh, that that. Uh, that sickness or disorder is normal, and is, is abnormal. I'm sorry, is that it's that it's not okay to be sad. That it's not okay to be 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 unhappy. Uh, it's not it's not okay to be stressed. It's not okay, you know, that we need to always be in this kind of uh, wellness state to be okay. And then if you're not, you need therapy. Well, I don't believe that. You know, I believe that therapy is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, more, uh, uh, is is not a first line; it's a last line. You begin with a close friend. You know, you begin, you begin, you you know, you begin, you begin, you begin with uh, uh, thinking about you know, and and that's why I I'm I'm really really uh, supportive. This might surprise you as well of of some of the things that are being done around coaching, as an example. Mm -hmm. Because I I believe a non-clinical approaches make sense to start with. I don't think you start with with defining people as sick. I like to define them as you know uh, going through life struggle. And sometimes you do need support, but don't you do you always need clinical support? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. 
I think that I think that more often or not, I need to call up my friend Jeff and say, "Hey, Jeff, you know what do you think? You know, I you know I have a I, you know, I have a friend named Bill who I know since the you know you know like the you know the uh, third grade. That's who I that's who I call first when I'm distressed. I call Bill. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and it makes perfect sense because we know that when it comes to substance use disorders most people that find their own recovery do it without the help of treatment they may go to a faith community they may talk to a friend they may choose to go through the fellowships but they're not in, they they're not involved in treatment because there's another way that they do things they don't have that level of need and if so if everybody who has a substance use disorder comes from a background of a trauma how can the simplest things help somebody get to where they want to be? How can Uncle John do that? How can hanging out with friends? How can doing anything that they enjoy and having conversations with, uh, how can that help them? We know it does. So it's we're going, we're looking at it from two different sides. Exactly. And at the same time, Jeff, I don't rule out anything. Right. You know, I mean, you know, some people ask me, well, what do you think about, uh, you know, uh, biofeedback? What do you think about EMDR? What do you think about cognitive therapy? I don't rule out anything. You know, I, th I think that I think that the right place for the right person at the right time makes sense. I, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't have a one size fits all uh, impression. I think that, you know, the, the therapist ought to have a, uh, uh, a wide uh, ray, you know, arrangement of tools and, and thoughts. But I think if I could say one closing thing that Pardon. is most important to me, Jeff, you know, I think that the most important thing, if you're going to get help, what you want is someone who will see you from a one down informed position, not from a person who is going to tell you how to live your life mm -hmm. that you, that you see, you know, I see myself as another struggling pilgrim, working my way through my life the best way I can. And within those struggles, I can relate to you. But my struggles are not your struggles. But I can relate to you in my humanness, in my sense of who I am as a person, in my in my, in my struggles, in my in my in, in uh, you know and 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 and, and with, with deep honesty, not as a person who has answers and or knows how to live your life. Mm -hmm. So I, that's where I can meet you. And, you know, and some people will start with, you know, what do you think I should do? And I always answer, I have no idea what you should do. I don't know you well enough to know that. But they said, well, why am I here then? I said, well, why don't we stop there? That's a good answer. You know, that's a good, that's a, that's a place to start. Not with what I should, you know, because there's a whole, this whole idea that the therapist ought to tell people what to do. And I think that's the very last thing a therapist should ever do is tell people what to do or how to live their lives. Some of my best work was helping people not violate probation. Why are you here? I'm afraid if I don't come, my PO is going to violate me. So what do we need to do so you don't violate? Spot on. <laughs> Jeff, that, that, right? that, I, I, I couldn't say that better. Yeah, people that, take that, from it whatever they need. But they're telling me what they need. And we always, instead of putting my spin on it, I have to listen to what they're saying. It took because me a while to learn that, as you can imagine. You know, you know, and I'm always in awe of my of my clients, patients, whatever you want to call them. I always treat that, you know, the privilege of being in someone's life 
you, uh, you need to take that with incredible sense of humility and a, a, a real sense of uh, privilege. And I always begin by thanking someone for that experience. That's very powerful. And that's a great way to end. Thank you, sir. Um, Dr. Litt, thanks for joining us today. And thanks for your willingness to, to always challenge the status quo, uh, to create better experiences and outcomes for the people that we serve. Uh, it goes without saying that it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And we certainly hope our discussion today has piqued your interest enough to look deeper into the issues that present themselves to our field and to do our own research into the statements uh, that we generally take for granted. Uh, thank you, everybody. And Dr. Lynn, thank you. You and I again will speak soon. I hope so, my friend. <laughs>